Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and boy, what a week it's been. Nice to have White Sox games back in our lives, right? So the Chicago White Sox have lost seven games in a row. Not a big deal. They are still rebuilding. We are evidently halfway through the rebuild. And in two years, we'll either laugh at how we reacted to the White Sox losing so many games or completely forget about them as we move on to better days ahead, right? So there's no need to be angry or frustrated with how things are going. If you are a true fan or authentic fan, you will support the team no matter what. Be positive and encouraging even in downtimes like this past week. Because if you are complaining or voicing your frustrations about the team, well, that's on you. Maybe you shouldn't look at the dour side of life. And on this podcast, we are always super positive about the Chicago White Sox because we know in two years, the White Sox are guaranteed to be successful and super awesome and a contender to win the American League pennant because ride with us or get run over, folks, Rick Khan forever. And now joining me to discuss how it takes five years to build houses is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. What a great road trip for the White Sox so far. Did you see Yohan Makata had three hits and a home run today? I did. Ryan Goins looked pretty good, too. Yeah. See, I can't even keep it up because now you mentioned Ryan Goins. And you know, uh. you know that will set me off. And here I am trying to be super positive, Jim. Yeah, so the White Sox have lost seven straight games uh, to start the post-All-Star break. They are... 42-51. and 51. 
That's it. 42 and 51. For a moment there, 44 and 51. They're on, they, yeah, they, they went from went from a 79-win pace to a 68-69-win yeah. pace within a week. And uh, what was their preseason prediction again? 70 wins. 70 wins. 70 wins. And in a week, they go from far exceeding that to now maybe not even reaching that projection. And we're going to be talking about a top 10 draft pick next year. Which, by the way, the Major League Baseball draft is on June 8th, 2020, as that just got recently announced. And suddenly that date is now very important for White Sox fans again. Ah, uh, yeah. But the intro uh, is kind of a uh, homage to Sunshine Steve Stone's comments to fans lately. As he's been engaging with White Sox fans on Twitter. Uh, especially for those that are vo- voicing their frustrations. And the tone of his tweets come off as if you are upset about the team's recent play, the seven-game losing streak. Well, that's on you because this is a process and there will be bad weeks during this process. There will be bad months. But in the end, you should still be supporting this team even when they are down because they are going to be really good in a couple of years because that's guaranteed to happen. Now, I'm not surprised that a TV analyst who represents the White Sox is carrying water for the team. But as we saw, Jim, after this offseason when Manny Machado signed with San Diego, this does not end well for the bucket carriers when the team itself is not performing well, like we've seen this past week. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. Um, and and I, I wouldn't call it unsettling because, as you mentioned, it's it's something you would expect for a team employee to do, and, and Stone's a team employee. But it's just I don't get where it's coming from. I don't get why now. I don't understand. Um, you know, just the... I, I Actually, I heard it more in the broadcast where Stone was saying, you know, talking more about two and a half years into a five-year rebuild. I think maybe like the week or two before he, he kept saying that or stressing it. And I thought that's... I haven't heard five years mentioned that often. You know, I've, it's kind of a, the rough figure in mind, but it's not something to, I guess, lean on too heavily or aspire to that you might need all five years to actually see it through, uh, especially given all the talent they traded to start the rebuild. You know, when you trade somebody like, uh, you know, Sale and Eaton and Quintana, you expect maybe a, that process to be accelerated. But yeah, it was. it's just... Uh, I don't get why he's stressing this. I mean, maybe once out of frustration, because if you look at your mentions, all of them are uh, people getting pissed about how the team's doing and you can't do a thing about it. So maybe I can see in frustration having one tweet where you say like, you know, um, you know, five years to build a house, whatever. But when he's talking about how people are, you know, how fans are behind the White Sox winter tie, I don't get where that's coming from. The White Sox haven't made the postseason in 10 years. They've had six straight losing seasons. They're a billion-dollar company. You know, this is a highly competitive environment. They should be embarrassed that they haven't made the postseason 10 years in a row. They should be embarrassed they've lost, uh, yeah, uh, had losing seasons six years in a row. There's nothing, yeah, like, I, I would think their standard should be higher that Steve Stone could take a bunch of pissed-off fans who are... Uh, reacting to what is the most embarrassing stretch for the White Sox this season? Well, I mean, they're they're halfway, Jim. Keep it positive. Remember, there's still two and a half more years of this rebuild left because it takes five years to build a house. Yeah, that analogy doesn't work, but it's, <laughs> yeah, just, but, so two and a half years of this, you know, is just, he's really, it's really lowering expectations. And this is, you know, theoretically a competitive entity, 
you know, in a league that exists because teams compete with each other. So to lie down like that, which is basically what he's doing when you're setting the expectations that low, is uh, not good. The White Sox have four years left of Yohan Mikata after this season. And in two years, you are now entering the option years for Tim Anderson. They have to start turning this around. They have to start winning. What this week has told us is, my God, this team has no depth. No depth. If anyone in the 2020 season gets injured and has to go on the 10-day injured list, Tim Anderson, Mikata, Eloy Jimenez, Jose Abreu, if Lucas Giolito has to go back on the injured list, hold your breath, folks, because the White Sox are in for a very, very bumpy ride, and you are hoping that Mother Nature interrupts some games that get canceled so you can play them later in the season when these guys are back on the field. That's what this well, past week is told. Yeah, I didn't realize Tim Anderson was that important. Um, you know, he's had a good season. He, he had a really great April, and then he's been regressing since. And you know, he's been, I think, average to a little bit above average. But the way they talk about him, um, you know, the way they said their um, you know running game is has ground to a halt because Anderson's not healthy. The White Sox were only four for nine in stolen bases in June. Like, they didn't run when Anderson was there. He wasn't getting on base enough to run, and he wasn't all, you know, he had been uh, in a bit of a speed slump uh, even before he got hurt, and, you know, Larry stopped running, and, you know, like, things that were existing beforehand, uh, you know, are now being credited to Anderson's absence. So it's not all that. You know, James McCann is regressing the way that his uh, you know, underlying number said he might, that the, the Sox had to expect, and Jose Abreu is hitting a lot of ground balls, and which he which he tends to do for, uh, you know, uh, a couple weeks at a time and but yeah you know when when the front line of talent isn't there like you mentioned uh then yeah then it's trying to prop up like ross detweiler and dylan covey and Ivan nova and just uh there's just not anything really uh there there's no second line there's no like even like say an, a line of average talent that can pick up for the guys who you know the, the stars or the guys who've been carrying the load to you know, allow them to slump for what, two or three weeks it's all just you know, the guys. You know, it's it's basically the situation where they were before, where you know the uh, the top tier, the you know Knurkos and and Sales and and uh, you know it, and, and Alexei and, and you know like everybody who was good had to be good. Mm-hmm. If they weren't, or if they're hurt, or they're absent, they were screwed. And that's kind of what it's looking like now. And I think that's what we've been uh, you know wary about with this rebuild and, and you know the, the whole stars and scrubs discussion that we had before and and that was a bit of an argument on Twitter just uh, the thing about stars and scrubs is not like you know the idea with stars and scrubs is you have some stars but then you just have some you know an underwhelming or maybe you know not name brand talent but it's not supposed to be stars and everybody is awful you know it's like studs yeah you know, I would call it more studs and duds but hmm. uh, it just I like that. Yeah, it's, you know, having this big of a talent imbalance is, is troubling. And uh, it's, it's yeah, I, I wouldn't fixate on too much because I think Luis Robert will be up. And if Dylan Cease uh, grows in his position, Michael Kopech comes back. There's reasons to think that the depth isn't as bad as it currently looks. But uh, the White Sox do have to prove themselves in a lot of ways, too, that they haven't yet proved themselves in the Rick Hahn administration or several years before that. Well, I mean, we know that Luis Robert never gets hurt, though. Right? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you know, and, and the White Sox, you know, uh, problems with coming back from Tommy John surgery. Like, these are the things that, you know, you have to be worried about. Mm-hmm. But there are reasons to think it's not going to be as bad as it presently looks. But there there are legitimate concerns underneath it that uh, um, can't really be glossed over by uh, the White Sox track record. And I'm glad you – that was the correct word, legitimate. And have – next year, I think, conversation we're going to have – is did Rick Hahn learn from 2016? Because I think it is valid to be concerned about the lack of depth. I mean, and and the tremendous drop-off in talent. I mean, you go from Aloy Jimenez to now having an outfield of what? John Jay, uh, Lurie Garcia moving from shortstop back to center field, and then you're they were rotating Ryan Cordell and Charlie Tilson. I mean, that is an outfield that none of the three players are league average offensively. Uh, and when your above league average offensive players get into a little bit of a slump and they regress a little bit, I mean, the drop off behind them in the lineup is so bad that there's no way that you can expect them to help carry the offense in the bottom of the order. I mean, in one of the losses, they got two home runs from Ryan Goings and A.J. Reed, and neither of these guys were on the 25-man roster prior to the All-Star break. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, uh, it's in a way, you know, you can look at it two ways. Like I said in the recap, that's either positive that, hey, new guys showed up and they're delivering something immediately, or bad, like, oh, there's nothing else behind them. And, uh, yeah, when it comes to A.J. Reed and somebody like him who had potential and doesn't have it, I don't expect the White Sox to... You pick him up, dust him off, and have a perfectly working first baseman slash DH. But at least I admire the, uh, you know, the attempt to find somebody who might have some upside and, and is worth trying out. That what they're doing with that position, and, and yeah, I guess that particular roster spot, the DH, and and you know, having Zach Collins there, who might have been interesting if he had more playing time, but uh, giving the playing time instead to AJ Reed, who is equally, um, I guess, interesting or flawed, you know, depending on how you look at it. Um, worth looking at, don't have the highest hopes, but maybe something clicks. You know, what they're doing at that roster spot is like the exact opposite of what they're doing with the pitching rotation, which is <laughs> basically just going from Ross Detweiler to Dylan Covey to Ross Detweiler to Dylan Covey. There's no plan there. There really wasn't a plan in the offseason except for Irvin Santana. When that blew up, they were back to Dylan Covey, and they just, you know, the, the unwillingness to get away from him and then the unwillingness to try to put him in a position to succeed um, you know, not even like dabbling with an opener, not even considering it. Um, basically trying to get five innings out of guys who are lucky to go three. It's just, uh, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's not a 2019 team move. You know, it's something hmm. that yeah, I would expect them, you know, maybe a decade ago would be, you'd see more teams doing that. But the White Sox, you know, better teams who are uh, less desperate than the White Sox are gladly doing it. Uh, the opener and, and, and messing around with uh, leverage and everything like that. And the White Sox just in, in maybe it's just a Don Cooper thing, or maybe it's a top down thing from even above him, but they just will not do it. And so you just end up, you know, making the same mistakes over and over again. And you know, when you see a mistake that obvious and, and with that little hope, you know, when you see no urgency to try to fix it or work around it, or even get like opener reps for, a pennant drive. If all of a sudden you're mixing, yeah, you know, that's the other thing is like, maybe the opener won't work with Covey or Detweiler or whoever, like maybe it'll be a disaster, but at least you'll have some reps working with it in the event that you lose two starters in September when you're contending and you need to come up with good starts out of nowhere. Just having the reps behind them and understanding what works, what didn't 
understanding your own tolerance levels with, uh, you, you know, with uh, pushing and pulling pitchers in that situation. All of that's important. So to ignore that entirely and think that you're always going to have five healthy starters and, and pretending you do even when you don't, uh, that is a, a, a big problem to me. Yeah, but who else are you going to have throw right now? What do you mean? Like for the so Kobe part, like the, the yeah, second, the, yeah, second the, pitcher part? Yeah, I mean, Kobe and Deadweiler, you'd have to save them, right, for five days so they can try to pull this maneuver off? Or would you even entertain the idea of having Dylan Kobe throw out of the bullpen in fifth or sixth innings if another starter were to fail like Yvonne Nova did earlier this week? It depends on how well they do and the success um, when it comes to – you know what if say if they were if they were pushed like say if Covey had to go five innings or went five innings because he happened to be pitching really well and the White Sox had a mm-hmm. big lead and then there was no reason to really um, go to anybody else given the conditions then yeah you, you use them like a starter but if it's like say a start where he gives up a couple homers gets shelled and he only pitches two innings then yeah you can probably throw him in a side day or go back to regular usage or he could rotate guys like you know Detweiler right now and then you have Kyle Kubat who is probably in the same mold as, as not missing, you know, throwing strikes, not missing a ton of bats, maybe can, can get through a lineup once. Uh, you know, they have a couple guys like that in the minors that could have done it with Despagne a little bit, uh, given, you know, how much he nibbled early on and how it worked for the slightest amount. But if you have these guys who only have, um, you know, one look before they get figured out, you may as well try to you know, combine it with other guys who have one look before they get figured out or something to where you're not just pushing these guys to their breaking points uh, and then having uh, six innings to clean up a failure. That's why I really don't get, even, you know, even if it doesn't work, it might be a disaster uh, trying the opener with the talent they have in hand, but just not to try it at all is uh, it it doesn't bode well for future years when they do have to um, exhaust all possibilities to get every win. But Jim, in future years, Michael Kopech is coming back and the starting rotation will be solidified because you have Kopech and you'll have Lopez and then you have Cease and then Giolito and maybe Dane Dunning. Maybe Carlos Rodon comes back really strong in the second half next year. It'll be totally fine moving in the future because the White Sox are guaranteed to be successful. Yeah, it's I mean, I kind of even though that argument's facetious, I kind of get it. Which is why you know, I've seen a lot of fans just saying, like, it doesn't matter if we're never going to use it. But as we saw with Oakland, you know, when their rotation blew up and, you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. in the Rays and their rotation blew up, just if you have a couple uh, targeted strikes to your rotation where all of a sudden you're missing two starters in September, you can't call up anybody. There's nobody, you know, you can't make trades. There's nobody freely available and you have to scramble. Uh, you know, that's part of it is just being able to scramble for these wins. You know, like say the Yankees rotation with that, uh, you know, all of a sudden evaporate on them and they had two, you know, one and a half healthy starters out of five. They had a scramble and they did so very well. So not even practicing scrambling when the stakes are as low as you can possibly get. Like if the opener blows up on them during a start that would ordinarily go to Detweiler or Covey, could you tell a difference? And that's a good point. So I'll stop being facetious here and I'll be back to Josh Nelson for a moment. I think this is lazy management from Rick Hahn. And I will use that word lazy because it's just recycle. I don't think there's a lot of thought that's being put into it. I think this is a great opportunity when you're having this type of difficulty in a season to start being creative. Like you are mentioning, Jim, it is creative to use the opener. Or maybe you can use a creative technique where you go three, two, and two, 
with a combination of Kobe and Detweiler. Uh, maybe Evan Marshall could be extended to innings, or maybe Jose Ruiz could be extended to two innings. And you give that a shot every fifth day while you can still save the bullpen of your main guys like Marshall and Aaron Bummer and Alex Colomay uh, when you are trying to win games or, or you are in a position to win. But you know, after the game, Charlie Tilson gets DFA'd. Guess who's not in the lineup for the Charlotte Knights? It's Adam Angle. Robert. Oh, uh, sorry, man. Uh, no, poor Jose Abreu. We're gonna get to Abreu in a moment. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's gonna be Adam Engel. Adam Engel's gonna get called up. It's not official, and I don't have an inside source, but we know it's gonna be Adam Engel because this is the way that Recon works. And uh, here's the good news. This is what they'll tell you on the broadcast that Adam Engel in AAA has done much better offensively. He's hitting 270 with a 347 on base percentage, and he's slugging 464. And they're going to promote an 810 OPS, and he's got nine home runs. So he's starting to get a little bit more contact, and he's starting to get a little bit more power. Maybe the third try to prove himself to be a major leaguer will be the charm. Here is the truth underneath the surface. In games at Charlotte, 33 games, 125 at bats. Adam Engel is batting 336 with a 420 on base percentage, slugging 584. That's over a thousand OPS. That's crazy. Get him out of Charlotte in 123 at bats in 31 games. Adam Engel is batting 203 with a 269 on base percentage, slugging 341. From what we know about Adam Engel's time in Chicago, Jim, which slash line do you think is more realistic that we'll see as he joins the White Sox again? Yep. But that's what, you know, you mentioned that. That's the one reason I didn't mind Ryan Goins coming up is that he actually had even, he had really good home splits, but had really good road splits too. And he was lefty and he could play the infield position. He could help Larry get Larry get back to center field and get Tilson out of the way. So, you know, that one I understood. That one I could see, okay, lefty, he he uh, negates or, or helps counteract, um, you know, Yomar Sanchez and Jose Rondon's biggest flaw, which is hitting right-handed pitching. Get Larry back there so Tilson doesn't have to play. Okay, I get Goins. And, and that strikes me as like a little bit pragmatic, even if Goins, you know, being a 31-year-old journeyman infielder is not Luis Robert. You know, it's boring. Um, you know, probably not any part of the future even for next year so what does it matter but at least right. there's something there that improves the team that gives rick renteria a couple more options this one you know if larry's back to playing center uh it does not and, and Luis robert homered again by the way <laughs> of course he did yeah adam engel plays center where does larry go right field so ryan cordell's not playing again which that's okay he's had his stretch and he has proven that he's not a major leaguer as well. But back to the Ryan Goings thing. I do have a little bit of a problem with the Ryan Goings decision because he is 31 years old. And when you are in a rebuild back to being creative and trying new things, we know the type of player that Ryan Goings is. He's played 490 games in the major leagues. We have no idea what Danny Mendek is. And if it's going to be a short stretch until Tim Anderson comes... I think why not give the opportunity to someone that you drafted in 2015 that's grown up through your farm system that you have the development cost, right? You've had coaches and consultants and specialists working with him throughout this entire time. Why not give someone who's homegrown talent that opportunity instead of the 31-year-old quadruple-A player? 
Well, he's right-handed, and um, you have Ron, Jose Rondon, who's right-handed. Just a, a lot of redundant players, and we saw with Zach Collins, you know, bringing up a guy who doesn't really have a role or situations uh, that that fit his skill set. And I think Mendick would find that right away. And I'm for you know, while Anderson's out playing Jose Rondon a lot, just to know if there's anything there, if anything from last season carried over. He's had better at bats as of late. Uh, could be just a um, you know dead cat bounce or. Uh, you know, it's regression to where he, he wasn't like a 130 hitter, but he's not going to be a 250 hitter that can get his rest of his numbers to an acceptable level either. I think it's worth figuring that out. I don't really see a, I really wouldn't want to see Ron Doan and Mendick on the same roster for more than a month because then I think it just confuses it too much and you don't figure out if either guy's there. And I don't think you want either guy or both guys in the 40 man roster at the same time because they cover the same skill set and you might be able to use that. 40-man roster spot for somebody more interesting or more uh, versatile and having a higher upside. So I kind of get why Mendick wouldn't be in the mix right now. But I hope by September there'll be a clearer answer on Jose Rondon to where if Rondon doesn't look like the backup right-handed infielder of the future, at least the short-term future, then, you know, clear the way for Mendick to get some reps in September. Okay, but... I I wouldn't have minded Mendick, but I just thought, you know, basically based on how right-handed heavy the lineup is having a lefty who frees guys up and gets Tilson out of there, which I think is the other thing. Tilson's value is basically being one of the few left-handed bats in the lineup with him out of there. And Tilson was optioned. It does give Renteria a few more lineup options. Sure. But you, you mentioned as far as trying to be more creative, I think it's more creative to have Danny Mendek on the 40 man roster than adding a 31 year old quadruple a player in Ryan Goings. But then again, I don't. Yeah. Oh, here's uh, here's my counterpoint to creative is that if you count churn as creative, if you put Ryan Goins on the 40 man roster for a few weeks to add a little bit of left handed balance and Anderson comes back and you let him go, then basically you're just, uh, you know, kind of shifting the roster to fit temporary needs. And that is problem solving. So if Anderson comes back, do you think going stays? Well, that'll be the fascinating thing, just because I think with Ander- if you have Anderson and Rondon and Goins and then Leary, uh, one of those guys is unnecessary. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm kind of curious. I think if they give Goins a lot of playing time, and right now he's two for two, uh, then I wonder if Rondon's going to be the odd man out. Neither of them have options. That's the thing. So, I mean, I, I'd be fine if they lost Goins unless he really shows something while Anderson's out. If he has like a great two weeks, then what the hell? See through the end because, you know, weird things happen in baseball and maybe the White Sox will actually benefit from that one of these years. But I, I think, uh, you know, if Goins shows what he showed before, which is a glove first utility infielder, then they should go with the younger guys. But I'm kind of curious if they keep going to Goins while Anderson's out, that really doesn't mean good things for Rondon. No, I think it's the end for Jose Rondon. And I'm okay with that because I think he's had I think he's had a stretch. I mean, not necessarily consistent stretch, but he's had a stretch of games where he's been able to play. I still prefer that in a rebuilding year, you give the homegrown guys a shot first rather than the guys you picked up off the street. That's just my opinion. I think it's more beneficial to know especially for guys that you have control, better understanding your depth situation going to next year. Because right now, <laughs> we're getting a good idea on the White Sox depth situation, Jim. And it's not good. And I'm not exactly sure on how it's going to improve other than looking to Birmingham and instead of using Ryan Cordell and Charlie Tilson as his fourth, fifth outfielder next year, 
We're, we're, we're talking about Luis Gonzalez and Blake Rutherford. Or the guys that are currently on the 40-man roster, burning options, Mike Adolfo and Luis Basabe, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, it's like I said, like when it comes to like a three-week solution, especially like say if you want a plus defender, which I think Goins is a better defender than Mendick. Uh, there, there does, add, yeah, he does add a little bit of professionalism to the proceedings and maybe that's part of it. But yeah, I think after Anderson comes back, I think that'll tell us about their motives and, and if they somehow clear out Ron Doan and Mendick comes up, then that's ultimately fine. Um, but I would like to see Mendick come up and be put in a position to succeed. And I don't know if this moment is that moment. Yeah, but I, I'm also kind of tired of the White Sox handling these prospects with kid gloves. No. I say, throw them into the fire. Yeah, I, I don't. I guess I being Mendick a twenty second rounder. I think whatever you get from him in the majors is going to be, um, you're gonna you're gonna be lucky to get it. Right, uh, and I agree. That's why I say throw him into the fire. Yeah. You're not banking your future success on Danny Mendick. You're not playing the service time game with Danny Mendick. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. I guess I don't see it that big of a deal right now, given the circumstances. All right. I wouldn't use this one to uh, to beat him over the head with. I would say, like, yeah, I'm, I'm all for calling Luis Robert up now. I'm all for treating this year as the seventh year. Um, and so it's seven equals seven, not seven greater than six. Um, but that, that's one word that, that annoys me more. And Dylan Cease not being up when it looked like he could have been up a couple months earlier annoys me more. Last year with Michael Kopech, that annoyed me. Danny Mendick over Ryan Goins when the team is needs some left-handed bats and could use some better defensive play in in the infield, especially to sport young pitchers, that doesn't bother me too much. Okay. Well, there is someone that is bothered in the clubhouse. Probably not about Ryan Goings, but probably about the state of how the where the White Sox are because ever since he signed with the White Sox, this team has been in disarray and it's just not been very good. And that's Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu, through his translator, uh, in his comments after the game in Kansas City, regarding how much the team misses Aloy Jimenez and Tim Anderson. Anderson, uh, sorry, Abreu said, quote, we need them. We are missing them, but we need to deal with what we have here until the organization gives us a chance to bring the people up that can help us here. Hmm, Jim, I wonder who is Jose Abreu talking about? I think it's pretty clear. And it was funny, Ryan Goins said the same. Yerman Mercedes, yeah. I totally understand. No, like Ryan Goins, I think, had a similar quote <laughs> about Luis Robert. Just, you know, he wasn't saying what the organization should do or what Rakan should do, but he just said more like that, uh, you know, his talent is too good to deny, something to that extent. And that's the, uh, it's that's, I think, the tension. And that's what we talked about last year with Rick Renteria, you know, benching guys and being um, trying to whip wins out of a team that is just not built for it. And this in, in the front office is intentionally withholding talent. Um, that's, I think, what makes rebuilding so tough and rebuilding so tough on a manager is just when you intentionally keep the roster from being its best. What are you doing? Like, I mean, there there is a, right. uh, you know. There, there is, you know, individual pride and in players trying their best and players trying for their numbers and whatnot. But when it comes to the whole team mission of building a winner, it's just hard to buy it after a while, especially when you have a rough stretch like this where um, some of the talent is absent and and you just kind of buckle under the stress of it. And this circles back to the comments that Steve Stone is making on Twitter to White Sox fans. The White Sox fans that are very frustrated with how the team is playing understands that the front office is not putting the best 25 guys on the roster right now. They are deliberately not doing that. 
because they are playing games with service time. Because if they were, Luis Robert would be in center field right now for the White Sox hitting home runs. Not down in Buffalo, I think, is where the Knights are currently. Yep, uh, Buffalo. Hitting home runs and getting you know massive tweets on Twitter from MLB Pipeline and Baseball America and how amazing that he's been this year. No, I mean, in professional sports, you play the best guys that you have unless you're going through this rebuild phase, which you are deliberately not putting the best 25 guys that you have out there. So then fans are just going to have to suck it up and just accept the fact that the team isn't trying or even putting together the optimal roster. And people, some people, especially in White Sox Twitter, will say, yeah, the fans have to suck it up. But not. I don't think fans should because this is their money and this is their time that they're devoting to this professional sports organization. At the very least, the organization, in my opinion, even if you are scarce of talent, should always put out the best team on the field. And the White Sox are not. Well, it's like even if you, you know, even if you don't subscribe to that or think that, you know, service time is more important in some you know, in a lot of cases than bringing them up and everything like that. When it comes to other teams, they usually have a mid rebuild overhaul. You know, they they fire the manager, they fire the you know, pitching coach or they replace coaches, they you know, in some cases, you replace the front office. In the case of Atlanta, I'm thinking that was for a completely different reason. But some you have these big changes where it's changes the administration or the era. And so even if you are in a situation where um, the uh, talent is less than, you know, intentionally less than it should be, um, just because they're holding guys back, you still have some kind of signifier, at least the scar tissue you build up from the first few years of losing is somewhat erased by a new manager, a new pitching, new pitching coach, new hitting coach, whatever. It's bringing in their guys, bringing in their message, and, and connecting with fans. In this case, if Rick Renteria is not going anywhere, and he's probably not, and Don Cooper's not going anywhere, uh, you just don't have any kind of reset in the middle that I think is you know acts like a palate cleanser to where all of a sudden you can everybody just takes a step back, comes back into it, says, okay, now they're serious we don't have really that kind of way to know when they're going to be serious until they actually, you know, put up, start, start spending money, um, actually start, uh, you know, filling in these, uh, you know, I guess calling prospects up, you know, to, to fill these holes when the talent demands it, not when you can, you know, maximize the service time or get out of super two or whatever. And there's going to be no clean break like that. And there's going to be no, uh, uh, and the baggage that they bring into it is going to hang over it until the White Sox prove they can win. And I think that's why this whole thing feels a bit fraught to me. And, uh, you know, maybe other fans aren't feeling that. And, you know, I, I honestly say good for them. It's not a patronizing good for them. Just I wish I could, uh, you know, uh, adopt that mindset a little bit just because it is seems like a healthier way to be. But also they might not be in the position where they watch every game like I do. And you know, they can just uh, step away and drop out for a couple weeks at a time and revisit it or go to a game when they want. And yeah, maybe that's why it's a bit easier to keep sanity if you approach it like that. But when you watch every game or it basically like six out of seven games, uh, it's, it takes a toll and mm -hmm. there's gonna be a lot of baggage carrying over just because of the lack of change in the front office and the coaching ranks and everything. And, and the hope is that the White Sox can overcome it. But then when you have these periods where they look like they're falling into the same mistakes, it's hard to shake that. I wonder where Jose Abreu's mindset is currently. You go to the All-Star game and you have made it well known 
that you want to stay in Chicago and you want to work out a contract extension and you are calling it out on the media, I believe, to escalate the process, to get something done sooner than later. And then your boss publicly through the media says there is no rush to getting a deal done and we will address it in the off season. And now the follow-up is until the organization gives us a chance to bring the people up that could help us here. I'm, this isn't the first time Jose Breu has called out as far as the organization's effort. If you go back to the 2016 season towards the end, Jose Breu made some comments that of course got Adam Eden involved and we all know how that ended up. So this isn't the first time for Jose Breu that he has voiced his frustration with how things are currently going. And again, I mean, this guy's been around since the 2014 season and he's a veteran and he's definitely not getting any younger. He wants to stick around, but if the team has no interest in negotiating a contract extension during the season, and if they're not going to be calling up the best talent or players that they know that could help him right now, including his fellow countryman, Luis Robert, I, I do wonder if Jose Abreu is thinking to himself, what is the point? Uh, maybe. I, I don't really like trying to think too much about what somebody's thinking, and especially in Abreu's case, because his background and the way he came to Major League Baseball is so different and all the stress he went to in defecting. Sure. That seems like you know, he just might be happy. He might be genuinely happy in Chicago no matter what he's trying to force it but I don't you know maybe just the what Chicago represents in his life and what the White Sox represent in his life is bigger than any kind of you know win-loss record to him so uh, that's my sense from him and you know how badly he wants to stay with a team that has not performed while he has um you know given his uh his passion for the White Sox even in the face of all that losing makes me think that he's really hard to shake but it the losing's got to be wearing down Oh, yeah. But I just think there's a faith there that I think might be uh, borderline unhealthy or uh, <laughs> insane, but I think there's a faith. Okay. And in, in given just, you know, uh, what they've meant to him and how he's talked about the White Sox and how they've changed his life, uh, it just seems like maybe that's just, um, you know, that just inspires the loyalty that uh, he has. And God bless him for it. Yes, and he is much different than Chris Sale because Chris Sale took it in a different manner as far as his anger and frustrations with the front office, especially when things got really bad and out of hand during during the 2016 season. So I'm not suggesting that Jose Abreu is going to suddenly cut up uniforms because he's so angry at the White Sox front office for not calling up Luis Robert. But, I mean, if the losing continues and the White Sox continue to struggle and a beat reporter asks, you know, where's your head at or how do you feel about the current team, I wouldn't be surprised if we get another similar quote because, you know, for Abreu, listen, if the White Sox are not going to negotiate a new contract with him, he's a free agent the day after the World Series. And who knows? Maybe both parties will change their mind. Um, so we'll see. We shall see. Because at some point, I have to imagine, Jim, I have to imagine Jose Abreu would like to be on a winning team. Even though he is loyal and he's devoted to the White Sox, and as you mentioned, he has faith that they are going to be a very good team and winning soon. I don't think he's going to wait around forever. Yeah, I think this rebuild, if it fails to materialize, will break his heart. And it'll break my heart because he's given everything to the White Sox since he signed with them. 
Everything. Yeah. We thought yeah. with the signing of Jose Abreu back in 2014, that was going to open up new possibilities. And we thought that again with Luis Robert. And we thought that again with the flirtation with Manny Machado. And here we are, past the halfway point of the 2019 season. And the White Sox are 42-51, and 51, on pace to win 68 games in the 2019 season. Have a top 10 draft pick. And uh, I don't know. You want to call that progress? Sure. Maybe Steve Stone is right. And the next two seasons will be much better. But if you are one of those White Sox fans that is voicing frustration and you just don't like the way that things are going and you're a little unsure about this rebuild moving forward just because of what you have watched and what we have discussed about the stars, if they get hurt, all of a sudden there is no depth and the players that are filling in for them are not major leaguers. Uh, I, I think, Jim, if I'm speaking for you, I, or I should say speaking for us, we share that sentiment as well. This thing could work and this team could be really good. We just have to pray to the baseball gods that nobody gets hurt. So even more positive news, this road trip continues for the White Sox as we quickly preview the upcoming series as they head to St. Petersburg, Florida, uh, with the White Sox facing the Rays. Uh, But before we quickly preview that series, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Uh, With the season well underway, there's no better place to get your tickets than on SeatGeek, as SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you are willing to pay. And there's nothing quite like being there in person. SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. The positive after this weekend is that the Chicago White Sox come home, and they have a relatively, uh, maybe relatively easy series on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday against the Miami Marlins. And there's nothing like being there in person for games. And SeatGeek did something really cool recently. They surveyed baseball fans from all 30 teams across the country about each stadium's best experience from the food and traffic and the hacks. And if you want to read them, they're at SeatGeek.com slash stadium guides. You can find out what fans said about Guarantee Rate Field. So again, that's SeatGeek.com slash stadium guides. And make sure to Go out to a game this upcoming week with SeatGeek, and to help you save some money on tickets, our listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SOCKSMACHINE. That's promo code SOCKSMACHINE for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And again, the White Sox are heading to St. Petersburg, Florida. They'll be facing the Tampa Bay Rays, who are currently playing the New York Yankees as they've been dealing with some weather issues during that series. The last time the Chicago White Sox faced the Tampa Bay Rays was in Chicago in April. It was the second home series uh, to refresh your memory. And if you forgot about that series, well, this is how well it went. The Rays swept the White Sox in three games, outscoring them 24-7. to So if you forgot about that series, I do not blame you. The White Sox were terrible, and they looked outclassed. If you are a White Sox fan that's holding on to the future... As far as the pitching probables, you will enjoy this weekend. On Friday at 6.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Ronaldo Lopez making that start. On Saturday at 5.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Lucas Giolito. And on Sunday at 12.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Dylan C. So all three starters we are projecting will be part of the Chicago White Sox 2020 and beyond starting rotation. So we'll see on how well uh, they go up against a team that would be going to the postseason right now in the American League if the season were to end today. The main question for the White Sox in this series, Jim, is can they win a game? I think they can. The Rays are playing a doubleheader today, so they might get a chance where if they get a lead, uh, the Rays might 
just use the data regroup. So that's what I'm hoping. I don't know. I don't know because it's there. You got Cleveland catching up. You got Oakland catching up. The Rays still want to win the American League East because you want to avoid that one game playoff. I don't see the Rays letting up at all. Yeah, I just think that, you know, if, say, they use all their pitchers in their bullpen, you know, covering 18 innings the day before, it might create some extra special circumstances that just might not be able to manage the way they usually would. So that's really what I'm banking it on. But one thing I, I did notice looking into it is, uh, do you know offhand how many homers Avi Garcia has this season? Oh, gosh, I don't know, 11? Uh, 12. But he had 10 at the All-Star, like, I think in June. He's only had one over the last 34 games, so slowly he's kind of sliding back to where he's always been or like finding a uh, a level in between his All-Star season and the season after. So that appears to be not the huge mistake or the regrettable decision that it was earlier. So at least there's that. I mean, Avi, for that price tag, I yeah. think would have been too much. Would you rather have Avisil Garcia or Ryan Cordell right now in right field? Probably Avi. I agree. But I think when you non-tender a guy that just uh, basically ends it. Um, and yeah, I don't regret it, but you know, when it looked like uh, the Rays got him and I was fearing the worst, like, oh, he's going to turn into an all-star. <laughs> be perfectly, uh, I guess, uh, you know, have his playing time perfectly measured to match his skill set and his rate stats are going to be nuts, even if he only plays like 110 games. Right. But no, he's more or less the same guy. Well, and he may always be that guy. He's someone yep. that you can count on for 81 games. And then you don't know with injuries or with just regression back to the mean. Yeah, it looks like he's going to be an average starter, which is, you know, fine, but not a not a big whiff or a loss or anything like that. So there's yeah, this, my uh, piece of optimism. This is going to be a tough series, though. I mean, yeah. with Dylan Cease at times struggling against the Tigers and Royals, if he struggles against the Rays, it could just be a short outing because they will make him pay unlike the Royals and Tigers at times, but still he gave up quite a few runs, especially the first inning. Dylan yeah. Cease has got to get out of the first inning in fewer than 30 pitches. Yeah, that was his problem too in Charlotte too. So first inning really seems to be the key for him. Right. At least until we see him have a great first inning and then get clobbered in the second. But until we see him actually throw a you know, one, two, three first inning on 11 pitches, then uh, we can just stick with that piece of uh, analysis for now. Yeah. Uh, my last note was the International Major League Baseball draft, but we can hold that over for Monday's show. Uh, I just recommend going to BaseballAmerica.com and read Ben Badler's work as all the international directors uh, met in Miami in the past week as Major League Baseball is pitching the idea of having an international Major League Baseball draft. This has to be signed off by the players association and has to be added to the CBA. So we're not quite sure on how quickly uh, it can come into play plan but the owners want to do this and they're very aggressive with Ben Badler even citing next season having the International Major League Baseball draft so if you want to learn a little bit more about what that discussion is again go to baseballamerica.com and read Ben Badler's work on the latest and uh, all I have to say about the Major League Baseball draft is it probably would benefit the Chicago White Sox as they would not have to uh, outspend or have to have these relationships with all these agents with players that are 12 or 13 years old doing shady business and said it looks like the league is trying to clean up the act a little bit by also really restricting the earning power of some of these prospects uh, so we'll see what happens but again go to baseball america 
Sportsbook.com. That will do it for this edition, the longer than usual edition of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for listening, especially on the stream at Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. We will be back on Monday with the Sox Machine podcast. Our guest is our good friend Dan Zaborski from Fangraphs, and we'll have a very special P.O. Sox, hopefully, uh, as we are very excited to meet uh, many of you on Sunday out in Downers Grove at Alter Brewery as we will uh, attempt to record a live P.O. Sox session. So hopefully the White Sox play a lot better so it's a little bit more positive uh, as far as the questions because I don't know what kind of questions we would get, Jim, if the White Sox are on a 10-game losing streak. Uh, while we're recording that session. Uh, But again, we are very excited to see everyone out there on Sunday at Alter Brewery, and I can't wait to meet everyone again. And that will do it again for this edition of Sox Machine Live. If you just discovered the show, you can subscribe to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and audioboom.com slash Machine. You can also help support the site and show by becoming a friend of the podcast at patreon.com slash Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.